0: Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm Danny V, and today I am super excited to welcome a return guest, Will Kostarkis, author of The First Third, The Sidekicks, Monuments, Rebel Gods, and the book we'll be chatting about today. The book that Will once called The One, We Could Be Something. Welcome back, Will.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's, you can't get rid of me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to. And look, it's really interesting. I can't wait to talk about this book because I remember a post a really, really long time ago when you first got signed and you were like, this is the book. So uh-huh. let's let's start with an elevator
1: pitch. Uh, I'd say two teenagers. One of them is a no hopper whose dads are getting divorced and the other is an overachiever who has just published uh, his first book. We Could Be Something is all about how their stories converge on a street in Darlinghurst.
0: Oh, that's a perfect elevator pitch, Will. I feel like you've done that before.
1: But also <laughs> doesn't give away anything about the law. Does not capture a single iota of what I'm doing with it. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's... Well,
0: well, that's what this podcast's for. We've got half an hour. <laughs> you don't want to give too many spoilers, but you can just go deep, Will. Go deep. Yeah. Tell me all about it. So we'll go back to what I first said. I remember seeing a post on Insta and you were, mm-hmm. like, really excited because you just got it signed and you are like yeah. this. This is the one, which really intrigued me because obviously I've, I've loved your work for a long time and I'm like, oh, this is the one. Tell me why this was different.
1: It was just, I remember explaining the idea to someone when I first had it, it was in contention to be my Australia reads novella, um, which was, you know, a 10,000 word story that I had to write for Australian reading hour so that teens could read it in an hour. And the I greatest hits, right? The greatest yeah, hits the greatest was one hits. of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the one. And so I was like, great, I have this love story, you know, over decades that I want to tell. And so I remember telling my friend the story, and like the ending was intact. And I just remember his eyes just bulging out of his head. I'm like, oh, this is something. And I remember telling it to um the publisher. And she was like, oh, no, that's not a novella. No, no, say that. That's a novel. Like, don't do not rush that in 10,000 words. Give that time to breathe. And so I stayed with it. Um, I just finished Rebel Gods. And that was the book that like totally burnt me out because it was I'd never written a, a book that fast, let alone a sequel, let alone during the first year of a pandemic. And then have it released when everyone's in lockdown. I'm like, great. I pushed myself to the brink to get this book out and then. It was all risk and zero reward (laughs) like that is forever going to be my worst performing book um which is really sad but is just Mm. that is what the pandemic did to you know not a-list blockbuster authors and so I returned to this idea this idea was my backup novel you know in case we went back into lockdown in 2021 I'd started in February tour for a bit and then I'd come to it if we locked down and Funnily enough, we locked down, middle of the year, and this is what I dove into. And all these other things had started to happen in my life, Um, close family member dealing with Alzheimer's. And it was just this perfect storm of, I wanted to reflect on my career, you know, that I had built in the past 15 years, the themes that I had explored, whether it be the small but potent Greek family, queerness, But I wanted to show how much all of that had shifted, especially in the past five or six years with more empowered teenagers coming out of the closet and being more comfortable with themselves. And that all was smooshed together with this story, which was this this aching love story um, of these two would-be fathers. So, yeah, that's and I just knew I just felt so special. And that ending was so fully formed that I just knew I was working towards it. And it was, the book was a symphony. Everything was working towards that final line. And then when I got there and I finally wrote it, I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. (laughs) This is too easy.
0: I love that. I love it. And you say too easy, but it was years in the making. And it was an accumulation of all these things that were happening or had happened to
1: you. And look, and super painful as well. And But it was... But it was easy in the way that when I put it on the page, it felt cathartic, it felt mm, right, yeah. Um, and it felt like, oh, this is the story that I'm supposed to write. Like as much as I loved my foray into fantasy, I was always like, okay, these aren't the stories I'm supposed to write, but these are the stories I need to write for me. It is ticking something off my bucket list from when I was a kid. It is, you know, escapism during a pandemic. But this sort of stuff really reflecting on my truth, And my family. And yeah, it was just, it's the book that I couldn't have written without the eight, the seven books I'd written before. And I couldn't have written without all of my life experiences, without my first book, absolutely tanking, without me wandering into a bookstore to try to buy my own book (laughs) and then having a Bookseller recognize me and go, "Oh, you're actually Wilkes I and maybe like, <laughs> "Oh no!" and then, like, then running out and go, and then falling in love with that guy and that being my first big romance. But
0: wow, that's a story. Will
1: it is a story. It's almost <laughs> as if I wrote a novel about it. Fantastic. But it was, but that like falling in love with him that was early on in my career. That was before the first third. That was. I was so scared of coming out and I had to, you know, back then it is, you know, 2009 ish, maybe 2010. And I'm thinking, Oh, I can't be with you because you're a bookseller. You are so close to the world of publishing. I cannot come out. I do not want to come out publicly. Um, Funny how things change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and so I did my whole, okay, we've been together a few months time to sabotage this and piss off. And so while this isn't the story of that romance and about me and him, I could not have written this book without us. He is now, you know, one of my closest friends and he was the first person where, like, I knew that being gay wasn't just a phase or just a secret. I would have to tell people eventually, like, this was someone who I had genuine, like, depth of the ocean feelings for. And so I knew one day that that would come into a book somehow and this is this book is you know an exercise in taking all of my history basically except my sort of dad stuff I <laughs> shove that to the side that'll be another that's book another
0: before. book when you're like 45 or something oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's just gonna be give me a couple more years to reckon with that one um, but it's like it's my whole history sort of knotted together but the product is something that is deeply deeply fictional like I am I'm always wary of using the word autofiction because most of the authors I know who say that word, all the works that they describe as autofiction are really self-indulgent and kind of like just, it's like, I get it. You did this thing, but it's like, it's not entertaining enough for me. I get this experience means something to you, but on the page, it's not enough for the audience. And so when I think of autofiction, my focus is on the fiction half of autofiction. And it was, how do I take these experiences from my life? good and bad, but still formative, how do I take those experiences and turn them into something fictional that will resonate with audiences young and old?
0: I love all of that because one of my questions was, which you very eloquently answered, was, you know, Harvey and Satiri. Did I say that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing well
0: practicing in my head um (laughs) uh, you know i was asking i wanted to ask you how much did you take of yourself and and Mm -hmm. put them in your characters and you just answered that beautifully like a culmination of all of that and all the people that were important to you as well so it's a great story i love that
1: and but the thing with harvey is that harvey is very much not me he is no hoper whereas i was the overachiever and so finding harvey's voice was actually really difficult for me and it wasn't. It was in the writing. That's when ha- I was like, oh, "I've got to know what Harvey's arc is. How is he changing? What is he doing?" And I'm like, "Oh no, he's just—he's somebody who doesn't take life seriously, and he doesn't know who he is." And that's the story. Mm-hmm. And you know, not to go into spoilers, but he is trapped within a la- the larger story of his parents um, because they are separating as he's finding himself, um, and he is the son of two gay dads. And that is how he has been defined by the world. Everybody always wants to know about the gay dads, you know, pod and prok. um, And that has defined who he is. So that's an experience I don't have. And that was my way of communicating with the queer teenagers of today, because I feel like, especially publishing, like there was so long. Look, I have, I'm really grateful. I've had a 15 year career and I'm not going away anytime soon. (laughs) Um, But first half of my career was, one, I was closeted and deeply afraid of writing anything gay. Then when I was less closeted, at least to myself, I wanted to put queer characters into my book and I was having those editorial meetings that were like, oh, does this character need to be gay? Um, and then suddenly now the second half of my career is make everything gay, make mm. everything gay, that's great. and it's, But it's this weird whiplash where it's like yeah. I learned not to do that and now mm. I have to do that. Um
0: but how great is it that it's wonderful. you know, it's so moved on, you know, it's just about yeah. it's a love story and it happens to be Harvey and Satirian. It's it's that's what it is. It's it's about their story, you know, it's so but it's so
1: good. The other thing is I still think we're stuck in the past okay. where it's you know, authors like me who had built up all this trauma from being closeted mm-hmm. and the generations before me that had yeah. a lot more trauma than I did, we were told not to write our stories, and now we're allowed to write those stories. But the teenagers who read them will not get it. Like they will okay, get parts yeah, of it. I see that. But it's like we can't they, yeah. explain. The, like I tell, I go to school visits and I tell kids about the Grim Reaper ads, and they have mm. fight and it's mm. ludicrous to them, and they
0: they were terrifying. Well, yeah.
1: And it was, but also really funny now to watch yes. it. Like yeah. this with the, the lady holding yeah. the baby, and it goes like hilarious. But you know, distance. <laughs>
0: Total 80s thing, though, right? Just like scare people at 6 p.m. and scar children I, and get along I with
1: your life. I wasn't alive for that, but my mother was, and that is how she raised us. It was yeah. that you will get AIDS yeah. and you will die. Yeah, and you it know, was such a
0: fear mongering. It was hideous.
1: It was horrible. And as it's a failure of health messaging, and hopefully we've learnt that lesson but the big thing is is that that's the story that publishing loves or at least authors we want to tell it because it's cathartic publishers love it because we love a story about lots of homophobia or lots of racism and then we can pat ourselves on the back and go wow the world isn't like this anymore aren't we so much more evolved but you know the homophobia is slightly different now Mm. and it's more transphobic as well um and so with Harvey and Sotiri, I wanted to show the different queer experiences and put them up against each other because Harvey still has challenges as somebody who identifies as queer, but they're very different to the sort of fear of, oh my God, I want to come out, but mm-hmm. I can't. And it's, but so often when we see queer stories, it's, you know, we go through a whole book where the character's like, am I gay? Am I gay? Am I gay? I am gay. That is the end of the story. Whereas that would be like, I don't write a book about being Greek where it's like, am I Greek? Can I, can I live as a Greek person in this world? And then finally on the last page, it's triumphant. Yes. Give me the souvlaki. Like in the end, like that's no, like. There was a beyond
0: that. There is a,
1: there is a richness to my life that has been informed by not only my Greekness but my queerness as well. And it's not something that begins and ends with acknowledging it. Like, yeah, there's a whole story that we can tell after that. And this was my way of trying to write that.
0: Mm, I love all that. It's very interesting that, you know, you're not that much older than the kids who are reading this, but there's a lot of different experience in that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, 100%. They, it's yeah. Really a lot. I was speaking at a school that, you know, had a gay-straight alliance that we didn't have and it was like these, it was about seven year 12 kids and one year 11 kid and they were just bantering and having fun and it was the most fun. And I told them, I was like, guys, like when I was at school, we were a group of five guys. Three of us came out in our 20s, mm-hmm. like We were so afraid of telling each other the Mm. truth. And what a waste of the life that we could have had at school. How do you feel about
0: that? You know, like, obviously, it's fantastic
1: now. There is, look, how do
0: you feel as, you know, having that trauma?
1: I should, I should probably be super jealous, but I'm not. I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's informed me. That's probably given me this horrible sense of humor and and all these (laughs) other things that I put into my writing. But at the same time, it's like, I just want to defend what teenagers have now. Yeah, because I do know totally. that whatever progress we make, there's always going to be someone who's like, oh, like, drag it back. So, but it was it was so wonderful to see, and that's they're the kinds of stories that I want to write. I want to write about those queer kids who are confident and they're not fully formed, but they're at least like they're being themselves, and that as a starting point for stories, I think mm. is so much more exciting than starting a story at. I hate myself. How do I learn to love myself? Because, like, yes, those stories teach us to love ourselves, but you know what other stories teach us to love ourselves? When the norm isn't I hate myself at the beginning of the story. That's right. And I feel like we've exhausted the need for those kinds of stories, or at least, you know, other people can write those stories because it's a way of processing it. It is their lived experience. But when you have to write it three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, you have to ask yourself, am I actually doing good in the world with this or am I just perpetuating a negative stereotype?
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I do think we're we're beyond all of that. And that makes me, you know, happy that, that we are, that writing different stories now. So, and, I, and you know what I loved? I love the description. I loved it so much before I started reading it. It was part coming out story. Part falling in love story, part falling apart story. Yeah. <laughs> that was so clever. What were you, I mean, you told me a lot about, you know, what what it meant to you to write and the, the culmination of all your experiences, but what what did you want the reader to get from
1: reading your book? That I am a talented author, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
0: tick, what else? <laughs> it's,
1: it's a book about dreams and it's like, you know, the thing that we ask teenagers and kids is what do you want to be when you grow up? And I really wanted to interrogate that and I wanted to show a side to dreams that we don't usually talk about. We see we see dreams as motivating, we see dreams as positive. And I'm like, Hey, but what about, what about the negative dreams? Like what are you can tell this book was born out of, okay, Will, you have devoted your life since year one to becoming an author. you got a book deal at 17 and you have been a published author for going on at this point, 12, 13 years before I'm writing this, what do you have to show for it? Well, I was releasing books in a pandemic. No one was reading them. And it was like, wow, I have wasted my entire life. And it did, and it is every book and every book tour is, you know, not to sound like Aaron Brockovich, but it is (laughs) time away from my family. It is like it is building this thing, and it is a career that often doesn't love you back, and it is painful, and you are Mm -hmm. only ever as good as your last book sales. Like I had conversations with publishers that were like, look, Will, you know, they wouldn't buy one of my books during the pandemic on spec just because my book sales had decreased so much in the pandemic. They were like, your standing has decreased in the industry and everything that i had built had vanished overnight. And I was like, this is wow. support networks here. And, you know, and I experienced, it was even worse for me when this stuff was happening and I was a 19 year old and I wasn't mm. equipped, not to say that I have a great head on my shoulders now, but back then I was, you know, I hate it when people call like grown men children, but 19, comparatively a child. Um and so I look at all these choices that I've made and it's just like, is this career worth it? And I started to think about the other dreams that people have. And so and what happens when those dreams conflict? And so this book, one of the characters, you know, he is an author and that is his big dream. But what happens when he falls in love with someone whose dream is to be with them. Mm-hmm. And so he can never be the partner that person needs and that is a source of conflict where you have two dreams that are ultimately really positive but they are in conflict and the thing i want people to take away from this it's twofold it's that one you are enough you are something. What you have is something. This idea that we need to be the best author ever, like, that's that's foolish because th- that only happens to one person. Like, it's literally in the title, best. And I really, really wanted to let people know that, you know, well, not let people know because they already know this, but, you know, things end, but that doesn't change what the thing was and what the thing meant to you and the fact that it was good Mm -hmm. i went into this wanting to i know i joked about this not being my dad book but it was my divorce book it was my okay my parents had a really messy divorce and this was my way of writing okay it's still gonna be a bit messy but it's not gonna be that bad yeah but i want to sort of look at there is i wanted to look at the positives that came before it like you know, should I ever get divorced? I don't want to, but should I ever get divorced? I want to be mature enough to at least recognize that, you know, as much as I might hate the last few years or last month or whatever, or if I'm being dramatic the last 24 hours before I decide, "Ah," (laughs) everything that came before it made me who I was and was a part of me. And that was something. Mm. And that whatever we build with each other, whether it's friendships, romances, familial bonds, or just that time you helped someone cross the street who needed it. Like that is that is just as remarkable as being that obnoxious kid that got a book deal in high school. And so, yeah, it was it was me using my experiences and it helped that I, I kind of painted myself as the villain of this story. <laughs> like it was that, all those dreams and aspirations that I had, that is, that is the villain, that is the antagonist of this story. And it is what everything sort of moves beyond and it's sort of a rearranging of what is important or it's people ignoring that lesson and not learning that lesson in the hope that the reader does.
0: Wow, that's a lot. I'm processing.
1: (laughs) That's why I said this is the one. Like That's (laughs) the one.
0: I was really looking forward to that conversation from that post, which is probably about what eighteen months, two years ago, now, and I still it was, remember it. Was January,
1: January or February last year. So I still what, remember it. Yeah, about
0: eighteen months. Yeah. Mm, funny, isn't uh-huh. it? How these things just stick with you and like mm, looking forward to talking about this that, one and reading it. Good too. branding.
1: Good. Oh, uh, great, great That's post, Will. Yeah. Great
0: post. I'm going to we'll steal it. it one day, <laughs> and you'll be like, "Oh my god, Danny, thief!" Um, so you've talked about the book being the one, being the symphony, being working toward that perfect ending, but you did say there was a bit of pain in there as well. Now, what were yep. the challenges of,
1: of writing this book? So the challenges were that it was, so the book was, I'm wondering how personal to get. Now I'll get personal, why not? Um, originally it was, oh, there were two books that I was writing, like in the sort of scheme of things, I was writing just a very simple, just light sort of memoir, just getting things out on the page just to occupy myself during COVID. And the other half of it was I wanted to write a light, relax like not relaxed, but just a fun story about a kid living with his grandmother and his mum, sort of replicating sort of my growing up experience, but just a middle grade, light, funny sort of Greek story. But like nothing bad happens to the grandmother because the first third hinges on bad stuff happening to grandmothers. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's not what grandmothers exist for. Like <laughs> I wanted to you know capture all of it and then um during the early days of the pandemic we started to notice something was going on with my grandmother um just she wasn't acting quite as she used to and we realized that it was early stages of alzheimer's and that absolutely broke me like absolutely broke me and it was this weird point where Um, And I've heard people talking about this, but this was the first time I kind of experienced it where I had my mum suddenly just dropped her life and was like, right, I need to look after my mum. And so it was this weird thing where I was watching my mum parent her parent. Then at the same time, mum was coming to me for support. And I, for the first time, was having to parent my parent. But then at the same time, she's trying to parent me as well and i was watching just how knotted this family tapestry was and how we were sort of pulling ourselves through this um and you know that stuff was hard like i would write a scene and just ball my eyes out and you know i think about it I, like this is not a book that i can i can reread i have i have read it enough i have cried enough i cannot um yeah that's not something i really want to dwell on it is something i'm still experiencing um thankfully you guys still with us and Mm -hmm. she's still you know pretty steady which is you know it's that sort of no news is good news kind Mm of thing but we know the bad news is coming like that's it it is this and it is that is a fear that i've been wrestling with since the first third but now it's like hey hey it's here and um and that's really really tough but this book was you know so much of it is my lived experiences growing up with mum running a cafe and you know my childhood crushes and my you know exploits as a teen author all of that is in here but it's also in the same way that it's an ode to my mum it's a farewell to my grandmother and it's a writing of some of the wrongs like they're not wrongs i'm really proud of the first third But at the same time, that so much of the first third is, oh, that the grandmother wouldn't want her grandson to be gay. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, my grandmother is the grandmother to three gay sons. And she (laughs) is like that generosity that you give somebody when you show them who you are, that is returned to you. And this was my chance to be like, no, I have a queer family and this is you know, this is what it is. And my grandmother sort of, she is a part of it and she is not okay with it. She is in it. And <laughs> it. it is not something that she tolerates. It is just a, in the same way that if I had a female partner or a trans partner, it is just like, it is just the family. It is not yeah. something that you're okay with. And so I got to, not only am I capturing that, writing those wrongs and putting her onto the page, I'm also... Imagining, you know I would love to be a father one day I would love to be able to afford it Um, but I get to imagine the next generation and I get to imagine her engaging with that generation but there's also a sadness there because I know that she won't Mm -hmm. and like the one thing I want to do is I want to share the love that she has given me I want my kids to feel that and I know they won't and so this book was, like, my chance to at least imagine that. Like, we don't get what we want, but at least authors can imagine it. Mm. Um, but, of course, that's that's painful because that's, like, at all points, I am standing there and I'm typing on needles <laughs> to kind of to get that out. And, like, I think it's there and I'm so proud of the book. Um, and what makes me even more proud of the book is that Without all this autobiographical stuff, it still stands up as a piece of fiction. um so, and that was that was a really delicate balancing act. That first draft was me sort of pouring everything out. And the second draft was, okay, I have to take everything out because and just leave the story that's there. Um, so, yeah, painful, but good, but oh my God, I can't do this again but also. <laughs> I know that I have to because librarians get angry at me when I write fun fantasy (laughs) novels.
0: but still have their fair share of trauma in
1: them, but no. Wow. They want me to dance. Oh,
0: you (laughs) said so many things in there that were just, you know, I think it takes us all back, you know, to our own lives and our own mortality about, you know, a farewell because that's what we all have to do in our lives. We have to farewell the people we love. and It sucks, but there's... We're powerless to it. And I love the idea of how you said you were so knotted and, you know, you're parenting your mother who was parenting her mother and these, how these roles change and swap. Like I actually think that's such a beautiful thing. Like I have little kids, but, you know, when I have you know, that's my anxiety is no yeah. secret. Like I find them looking after me and they're eight and ten, yeah. you know, so I really love those swapping of roles. And it, it's You're just training about... them.
1: You're training your aged care. That's it. You've just gotta, <laughs> that's like, it. You're that's never kicking me doing. out, kids. That's why I want kids. <laughs> I don't want to see this face on someone else. I want someone who's changing my diaper. <laughs>
0: And and we got here. How did we get here so fast? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just this, it's just those beautiful relationships that you just take care of each other when you need to be taken care of and then you swap and then you change. And I think that's a beautiful thing about about any relationship when you can keep on swapping those roles when you need it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've gone deep. Well, and I'm not even finished because I just wanted to mention your dedication, which honestly nearly made me cry. The first book I ever signed was to my mum. I wrote Every Word is for You, Still True. I feel like I want to <sighs> take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is, this is a woman who gave up.
1: You know, she, she got married at 20, had her first kid at 21, you know, had me at 23, third kid at 25, tubes tied, divorced by 30. Then, you know, he ran off and she, like, to be fair, she should have just pulled us out of the fancy school that we could no (laughs) longer afford. But she was like, no, I don't want my kids going without anything. So she went, she worked her ass off. She got that job in the cafe and would work 6am till midnight every day. And, you know, we would see her, my grandmother would pick us up from school and we'd either go there for dinner um, at the cafe and stay there till mum closed or we'd go to my grandmother's. Um, But what happens was there's, this memory, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, my older brother would make us sort of a cup of soup for bed. So we'd, you know, put it in the microwave. We had our soup. So he was—he would have been eight. I would have been six. Younger brother would be four. And that was our dinner. We'd watch TV in my mum's bed and then go to bed. We'd hear her come home. You know, we'd groggily say, good night, mummy. And then, you know, whatever. But this one night, we just heard this loud thud and someone had fallen on the stairs. And we all got out of bed and we were standing at the top of the stairs and we watched mum. And I remember mum coming to and looking up. So she'd fainted. And she looked up at us and I just remember the sadness in her eyes when she realized that we had seen how far she'd pushed herself to the brink. And in that moment, she should have been like, okay, cool. Can't do this anymore. But instead she's like, no, no, I can't let my kids see this anymore. And so we moved in with our grandmother for a few years. Wow. She sort of pushed herself. And so, and then, you know, we moved back in with mom because, you know, the house was half renovated. We stayed in the upstairs, but downstairs was a hollowed out shell. Um, his dad had run off with the money that they had stored for the renovation. And so, you know, eventually, slowly, as we got through high school, you know, and my brother and I earned scholarships. So we can sort of, so it became a bit easier for mom. She started to renovate the house and things like that. And by the end of it, I just remember sort of, we, I would have been in about year 12 because my older brother was thinking about moving out and, you know, mom had renovated everything and she just sat there on the couch and I just remember just her de- she she looked defeated she was like the house is finally ready for your boys <sighs> but you're all leaving and I was like oh no and she just she missed out on she was she was doing everything for us and but she missed out on us if yeah. that makes sense. yeah totally and, like, and as much as I say mum should have pulled us out of that school, if she had pulled us out of that school, I wouldn't have had that writing teacher in year nine who was, like, not nah, Will, this is your job now. Like, and who, like, and she was she was only there for that year doing that role, right? Mm-hmm. And it just completely changed the course of my life because I was there. And so, yeah, I owe everything to my mum. And, you know, this was the woman who, you know, didn't read for fun, didn't read ever (laughs) like you are going to write you know you are going to be a reader you are going to be a writer you are going to be like you're going to be educated because I wasn't educated and that was you know what she instilled in us and now I have all of this because of her but the twist of fate is I have her I have you know my father's surname and not hers and it's (laughs) like I'm the advertising campaign for that bleep (laughs) um but yeah it's I owe everything to her. And I just, in much the same way that the first third was my first chance to be like, okay, everyone, this is the grandmother that I have. And she is really special. And I want you to get to know her. This was my chance to be like, okay, my mom is rough as guts, right? Like she will teach you really hard life lessons. (laughs) This is the woman who like, dragged me into the publisher when I got my book deal and was like, no, Pam McMillan is a scam. There's no way this place is real. And like going in there and being like, what are your intentions with my son? <laughs> and then, um, and really pushing for me and, you know, she is always in my corner and yeah, that's, and that is the, that's the spirit of this book where it's mm. like all of the, cause well, yes, it's a book about my career but it's about my career knocking me down and it's about the woman who was there to pick me up. And it was that, you know, it's like there's advice from her that, you know, she put it in the book and I I repeat it and it's, it is, she doesn't think she's wise. She doesn't think she's smart. I think she is the smartest person I've ever met. Mm. And I was like, I was exhausted at my career and I was like, mom, I just, I just want to be, you know, this was, this was me two years in thinking this is the most exhaust I'll ever be. And now I'm <laughs> going, I am tired. And she was like, mom, I was like, mom, I just want to, I just want to be something. again. those words. I want to be something. I want to be the skyscraper. I want to like, that's what I want. And she was like, how do you build a skyscraper? I'm like, oh, duh, you just put levels on top of each other until you've got a skyscraper. She's like, no, you do that. It will topple over. The first thing you do is go backwards. You drill down and you feel like you're not making any ground, but you are building a sturdy foundation. And then you shoot up and then that tower is solid. And look, the longer I go, the more true that statement is. If my first book was a success, there's no way I'd still be here. I would have been the smuggest person alive. I would have been insufferable because that book wasn't authentic. It wasn't true to me and it hadn't found my voice yet. And I would have been pigeonholed in that, you know, because the first book didn't succeed. I learned to be a speaker. I learned to push myself. I also forced myself to be more comfortable with being open with people and that made it into my work. And that, you know, in turn built something that connected with people. So, and I built that skyscraper. Yes. You know, we had a bit of, there was, there was an earthquake during the pandemic, <laughs> right? We lost a few stories. But now we could be something. That feels like I have come home, and I'm like, look, you know, the skyscraper was here. There may have been some cloud coverage. There might have been some shaky ground, but the it's still back. It's still sturdy. And <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna add some really tacky Barangaroo kind of towers and extensions and things like that. <laughs> oh,
0: I can't oh, wait for that.
1: Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so you know, that's that's the sort of that's the sort of thing that's kept me going. Any time, you know, obviously. I feel like I've got enough foundations now. Like I've learned all of my life lessons. I would appreciate like no more knockdowns. but you know, this book, I couldn't have written this book if I didn't contemplate. Nah, this maybe I shouldn't be an author anymore. Mm. And this was the book that, you know, in writing it, I was like, okay, if this is my last book, I'll be happy. But also I'm like, this can't be my last book. It is like, again, the symphony and all that sort of stuff. Like, it was just like everything was working. And it's like, oh, this is, this is what I learned from writing the fantasy series. This is what I learned from writing the sidekicks. This is what I learned from the first third. And it all came together with this book. Mm.
0: Yeah, I've loved this conversation, Will. And it's just, you know, I appreciate you so much for just choosing to go down that, you know, that really personal path that was the culmination of all this experience to create this book. You know, it's not easy to talk about pain. It's not easy to be honest, but I think, you know, they're, they're such the best conversations and they do make the book richer. I kind of want to go back and read it again after this conversation that we've had. Yeah, it, is it's a, it, be... is a,
1: it is trippy to read it the second time. Yeah, like just after, a richer yeah.
0: experience, you know, because you've just now put all of that stuff in, which, you know, was one of my questions. So I knew that there was a lot of that stuff in there, but to hear it from you and to hear it in your words and, and that depth of experience, it's just incredible. And to hear about your mum as well, you know, just
1: that was the wow <laughs> was like for so much like the big shift in my career was like with the with the Y-Yas stuff it was like so much of it was like, oh my god everything that we do together has to be on social media everything has to be like content everything has to be product and then i sort of stepped back like with the diagnosis i was like oh no 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 like this is ours and this mm. is this is nobody else's and sort of there was that shift of We're in a society now where everything has to exist to be monetized. Everything has to exist to be sort of you get a few likes and you feel Mm. good about yourself and, you know, it's there today and then it's gone. And so...
0: And I think I think I I agree like I think you can use social media however you want but I think some things you just need to to keep for yourself you know like you won't ever see my kids on my public Facebook page or or Instagram because you know they're they're for me and I don't have their permission and they can't give me their permission at their yeah, age 100% you know?
1: and it's
0: and one day, will there will be stupid teenagers who'll be posting everything. So I'll just save them now.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. you just you just save it for like the twenty first birthday party. But it's that by by not sort of divulging all of that, it forced me to have, I think, richer human experiences, and I love like that. that, and I think that is in the work. While I'm still sort of disclosing things, I'm I'm not. Doing it in a way that's like, oh, this will get this many likes, mm. and this is this mm. is an announceable here that will get retweeted, and I'll get all of the sort of
0: don't whatever. mean
1: hit, Yeah, like it. <laughs> it's not for that. This is the if I'm sharing this, is sharing it with you. It is sharing it with somebody that I trust. It is talking in the hopes that if somebody else is experiencing this with their family, or if this has reminded somebody of when they experienced this with their family, then it is, it is a way for us to actually meaningfully connect.
0: And I love that, how you can read this book but everyone will take away something different, you know, and I feel like that's that's when you know you've read something or watched something that has really been amazing because it's touched everyone in a different way. You know, I remember seeing the whale and um, they turned the lights on and it was just everyone was just looking around at each other just going, oh, my God, and I could just see that it had affected everybody completely differently depending on their experience. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that's with me. I don't have the experience of being queer but the experience of, you know, single, being a single mum and, you know. Going through separation and doing the things that your mum did, like those are the things that you know what I mean. So you can take
1: in a book that's so so
0: rich, everyone can take something away from it.
1: That's what I know. So this is this is interesting because you've reminded me of this. So for this for you, this book was more was it more family story? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like mum, the mum feels.
1: You know, it's like the mum and like grandmother, like the the Greek story, like that was. So when I give it, like most of my test readers are like english teachers who are greek and they're like oh will this is like a mature the first third that's what this book is I'm like <laughs> yeah but it's also informed by all the queer stuff i wasn't doing in the first third and that changes its shape a little bit and then once the publisher had it it was like oh no this isn't a, a great grandmother story this isn't a grandmother story this is a queer love story and so that's and you can see that in sort of the marketing as well as that yeah what yeah. the they've taken but it's just like oh no this and so different people see so many different yep. things in this book and so it's that's really nice what's,
0: that's what's great about any piece of art when everyone or so many people can take their piece away from it and it resonates with you in a different way like that's really special I think
1: see but I hate that though when I hate a book and someone else likes it like that's <laughs> the kind of like oh, different resonating I that I know I know like. Will
0: I know because I've, I've seen you on Twitter <laughs> hey
1: no no I am not recently not recently <laughs> I've learned and grown. I am, I am an elder statesman of the industry. I am. Everybody looks up to me. And That's like, how I describe how you, you. How are you so noble and so... Definitely. How It should
0: be in your bio. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Look, my, my bio is smug enough. It's like Wilka Stark is a delight and inspiration. Like
0: Oh, well, why wouldn't you just write
1: that? I know. It's all it's all us talking about ourselves in the third person anyway. Like, us have, have fun with it?
0: I hate when you ask get asked to write a bio because this is third person you think this is weird. I shouldn't be writing this. Someone else should be writing this for When me. I
1: tell kids that if the author's alive, the odds are they are who wrote the bio in a book about them. It's hideous, right? They lose it. They just like, Oh my god, like you said you were best selling that many times in a paragraph. Like have you Have you touched grass? Like, have you just like. That's so funny. Yeah.
0: That's an activity for kids. Everyone has to write their own bio. That'd be really funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not making fun of authors. This is new me, new
0: (laughs) And once again, well, you know, again, uh, we've always had these honest chats but you know still you've blown me away with this honesty and you got me in the feels there for a minute so <laughs> um i like that though i like those really honest vulnerable chats because i mean i think they're the most important things in life what else do you have if you can't have those honest chats that get you in the feels? so i really appreciate your honesty you imagine and... if
1: i wrote this book and was like oh okay they're just the, words uh, man just, just words. <laughs> yeah, it's just a subject verb object so kind of just <laughs> I'm just a craftsman. I just sat there with my words and I chiseled away at them. And I thought of a really good extended metaphor. I thought, what if, what if, what if they were Greek? Yeah, that would work.
0: And I just picked Harvey because it was just like I heard it down the street. It was like, yeah, they'll no, do. So
1: what's really cute about sort of that sort of timeline is that all of the characters are named after my friends' kids. Oh, I and so love they're going to grow up and they're going to so... have sort of. So yeah, that's.
0: Oh, so... I love that. That is an absolute. That's a delight. That's a delight. I love that so much. Thank you so much, Will. It was really nice to catch up with you. We saw each other at Sydney Writers' Festival. It wasn't the, some night that we went to. The, the, the launch pro, of the program, program yeah. Launch, yeah. And we all right. had that
1: really weird buffet where it was all this food that you couldn't eat by hand. So it's like you're there with, like, <laughs> a napkin and feta and some turmadis and, like, a breadstick. And it was like, well, what the <laughs> is this? This is great but this is chaos. It
0: looked beautiful. I was actually, because there was so much left over, I was encouraging people to just take it home in their bags for lunch the next day. I'm like, <laughs> you go to work and you're, you know, stuck eating a can of tuna, have this amazing food. <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm. but it was a great time. And, obviously, Sydney Artists Festival Um People probably would have been and heard you speak there as well. So thank you so much. Well, it's always a pleasure. And congratulations on We Could Be Something, The One for now. Until you write the next The One next time. And I look forward to chatting to you about that one as well.
1: Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure.